Welcome back to Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. And on this episode, we're going to dig into a little bit of the, you know, basketball, HBCU, football, with a gentleman that probably needs no introduction. I mean, people have seen him on TV. People have seen him at HBCU games. He's very well known. That'd be Mr. Michael Wallace. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, no, nah, I definitely need that introduction. I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> getting in the game this long, as long as I've been in it. People kind of forget who you are and what you did. So I gotta I love all these introductions when they come in. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it, Mike. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now I will, you know, we will be getting into a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football, a little bit of the Miami Heat talk. We'll get there. But up first, I like to start off my show with the get off your chest segment. I, I talk about, you know, anything that's on my mind. And one thing that's on my mind is the word loyalty. The reason why it's on my mind is because of Damian Lillard. Now, over the weekend, he requested a trade uh, from the Portland Trailblazers. And, and, you know, a lot of people are, you know, saying about time and things like that. But there are Portland Trailblazers fans that are not necessarily happy that he requested a trade. And they're calling him all kind of different things, whatever. And he responded to it on Twitter, of course, one response. But um, to me... You know, it brings up a larger thing to me about loyalty in sports. And the thing is, in sports, there is no loyalty. There's first thing is loyalty to yourself because you're the only person you know in and out is going to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. And this is how it's going to play out on my end. That's all you know. You don't know what the team's going to do. You don't know what uh, any other organizations are going to do. In the end, you have to be, you know, you have to be accountable for you and loyal to you, not necessarily loyal to everyone else. Because in the end, if you look at the, the Portland Trailblazers, look at the team. They didn't necessarily bring in all the pieces to try to win the championship around Damian Lillard. Lillard. And you knew there was pieces needed. You knew there was things needed. It just never happened. And, I mean, I can't blame him for wanting to leave and wanting to pursue, you know, trying to win a championship. I'm not mad at him. You got to do what you got to do. Again, you're loyal to yourself. There is no loyalty in sports, in my opinion. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Mike? I mean, it was, it was you know, well said. You know, obviously, um, you know, you articulated some of the final points that have come up uh, throughout the, the, the Damian Lillard saga. Um you know, it takes me back to his rookie year, you know, his first two years in the league. I remember uh, being around him, um, covering him. I covered him during his first all-star appearance, uh, <clears throat> spent some time with him um, as he was preparing to try to take the league by storm. So I go back to, 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 to Damian during that first all-star when he participated in every single Saturday night event, three-point slam dunk, skills challenge, and then he uh, played in the game and did the rookie sophomore challenge and everything. So you know, I, I go back and I guess if I look at the different times that Portland has tried to reshape that roster around them, um, they, they did. They, they they made a good run. I mean, they, they they did what they could in the West. They got up to as high as the Western Conference Finals once. Um, you know, they had the, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge and Damian Lillard combination at the beginning. Then they went to the C.J. McCollum and tried to go smaller in the backcourt. Then they bought in Robert Covington and, you know, Nurkic and different guys on the wing and you know, Batum for a minute, he was there. Um, and then they went super young. And and it was just, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough to win in the West when Golden State is at its peak. And there was no room for, for Portland to break through because 
when San Antonio was dominant, they then they handed off to Golden State. Then Golden State was dominant, and, and you really didn't have any time for guys to break through. So he did what he did in Portland. Uh, kudos to him. Now it's time for both sides to move on, and I actually think they're both positioned uh, to make a seamless transition moving forward. Uh, Portland has Scoot Henderson now, um, so they to go alongside Anthony Simons and some of these young guys, Shaden Sharp. And now uh, Dane can say, you know what, I'm not leaving the cupboard bare in Portland. I'm moving on, and, and I'm going to get greener pastures as well. So I think it's ultimately going to be a win-win. And um, I guess if the segment is getting that off your chest, I agree with you, but I also think that it's going to be a win-win for both sides. <clears throat> okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, you know, of course, that's the get off your chest segment, but that's not the whole entire episode, of course. <laughs> we want to talk to Mr. <laughs> Mike Wallace, and we want to talk about, you know, we want to get into a few other things, you know, HBCU football, you know, Grizzlies, things like that. But first, I got to take people back to the heat check in Miami. Yeah. yeah. Now, in Miami, of course, that's where, you know, you were there when LeBron James was there, for those that aren't aware. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've got to ask, and before, that, and before that, and when Shaq and before there. that, I'm sorry, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. LeBron came to me to us in Miami, you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah, but now you're good. I was there for every every single game of LeBron's time in Miami for sure. Okay, all right. So, how did that kind of come to be in terms of you being kind of like one of the, the most synonymous names when it comes to writing and, and being associated with uh, the Miami Heat during that time? You know, it was, I, I went there, um, you know, in 2006 and, and, you know, Dwayne Wade and Shaquille, they just made the big trade for Shaquille O'Neal a season or two before that. And they had championship aspirations and they got to the championship. Shaq uh, validated his departure from LA, um, solidified Pat Riley's uh, uh, kingdom in Miami because Pat was chasing rings too. They both were trying to re, you know, redefine their careers post LA. And, um, you know, it, it, that championship in 2006, opened up the door. It, it, it allowed Dwayne Wade to become a superstar in the league because he won the finals MVP that year. And that really, really made Miami a destination for NBA uh, players and, 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 and just about everybody, NBA culture. So fast forward four years after that 2006 championship, um, you know, it, and, and as the team shifted from Shaquille O'Neal being the most recognizable star to Dwayne Wade coming into his own, uh, he had a lot of leverage and a lot of powerful friends from that 2003 draft. And one of the things that they did was they they made a pact, you know, in that draft when, you know, uh, LeBron went one, you know, Darko went two, but I mean, uh, uh, Carmelo and then came after that and then Chris Bosh and, and Dwayne Wade. And they all wanted to play together. They t- had a taste of it for uh, NBA uh, at the uh, USA uh, Olympics in 2008. When they came back from that, it was all systems go, man. And they were just trying to figure out a way and a destination to line that thing up. And Miami was the place. Bosch committed first, and then LeBron James came. And the day after LeBron had his, uh, you know, I'm taking my talents to South Beach press conference and, and telethon, I got a call from ESPN, and they said, we're trying to do something groundbreaking that hasn't been done in this digital space, this emerging digital media space. We want to put a team of reporters in one city around one team uh, following primarily the biggest star in our game, and we want to cover it from basketball to cultural impact to, you know, what's going on socially and things of that nature from a social justice side, side to, to everything. And um, I was already in Miami. Brian Windhorst was already following LeBron in, in Ohio all of his career. So he moved down to Miami. Tom Habistro 
was a young rising star in the analytics field and in, in, in that type of media. And then, you know, you, you wrap it all together, um, you know, and, and, and we just, Kevin Arnovitz was, was the guy that glued us all together in terms of his leadership and vision from ESPN as an editor. So uh, it, it was, the Heat Index was launched and we followed this man and this team around the globe for the most part, man. And it was, it was, it was a joy ride all the way through. Uh, some tough times, a lot of clashes, a lot of issues, uh, but we worked through it and, and put together some really, really remarkable work uh, that, that turned out to be groundbreaking when you look at it now, 13 years later. Right, definitely was. I remember every day on ESPN, you've got the, the heat index, you've got this, you've got that. You've got like three, four different reports during the season. I was During the, I'd say the day probably yeah. or maybe the week. And it was just like, wow, they are really going all out for this team. But, you know, of course, we had never really seen anything like this before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course, you want to go all out and, and be on the forefront of the coverage of these different things as well. Now, during this time, of course, I want I got to ask, do you have any kind of like memories or any kind of stories, you know, maybe a LeBron story or anything like that during that time? Oh, there's plenty. <clears throat> I mean, there's plenty. And one <laughs> One of the things that I, I, I always say is that LeBron James is the most genuine, global, iconic superstar that I've ever been around. And, and I've covered plenty. I've covered everything from Super Bowls to, to, to major, major fights, uh, boxing matches to, you know, political events to, you know, a lot of different things, man. I, you know, and, and to be around people and see people and know that they are genuine and not just when the cameras come on. I always give LeBron that ultimate respect. I know he catches a lot of flack um, from people. He's polarizing. You, you, some people love him. Some people can't stand him. Um, but he is truly a genuine person. And, um, you know, one thing that quickly comes to mind, I can give you plenty, but the one thing that, that kind of underscores the, LeBron and who he is to me was a game early on uh, when he got to Miami. It was a road game in Detroit. And um, there was a young man. Detroit was known at that time for being one of the hardest heckling uh, 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 visiting, you know, uh, team uh, road stops in the NBA. So th those Detroit fans are passionate. They know the game. They had been through the bad boys era. They they went through five different, five straight uh, uh, Eastern Conference uh, finals with Chauncey Billups and Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace and that group. So they knew their basketball, but they were falling on some hard times immediately after that. Um, but there was this one heckler sitting about two rows up from the uh, court side um, behind the, the Heat's bench. And he just kept going at LeBron and, and going at LeBron. And LeBron would look over at him and kind of smirk and shrug his shoulders. And, and then the guy made a statement in the comment about LeBron's mother. And, you know, the rumor at that time was, you know, it, it was silliness, you know, surrounding Delonte West and, and all of this kind of stuff. And the guy made some comment about, you know, Valentine's Day and Delonte West and LeBron James's mom, which was completely out of line, right? Um, so during a break, a uh, break in action, there was a timeout and they were in the huddle. They break from the huddle. Uh, LeBron comes over. I'm at the scores table. So LeBron comes towards me at the scores table, looks over at the fan and is like, hey, come here for a minute. Let me tell you something. You know, um, look, you can say whatever you want to say about me. You know, you can say, hey, hey, you don't like me. Cool. That's fine. I don't like a lot of y'all either. And, and everybody around this guy was laughing and everything <laughs> was fun. But LeBron said, you know what? I mean, I got my kids right here sitting side and for you to say something like that that's disrespectful to both me and my kids i don't give a f who you are i'm not gonna have you removed but i'm gonna tell you right now as a man what you're doing is not right it's, it's wrong and, and as simple as that um so you need to sit down and shut up 
And, you know, the guy looked at LeBron and was like, you know, I mean, it was a 52-year-old white guy. And immediately after LeBron addressed him like that, the fans that were sitting in that same section looked at the guy and said, you, he's absolutely right. You, and it was like they turned on their own guy, their own fan. And to see that in real time, I'm sitting there capturing it. And all of a sudden, for me, the game against the Pistons didn't matter anymore. The fact that LeBron took time, and it was probably 45 seconds, took time to address this fan in, 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 in a respectful manner, but was real upfront to do that, that became my story. And how the man never got ejected. Uh, the fans, you know, said what they needed to say to the uh, to the man that was uh, being disrespectful. And then the game went on. And there was no more comment, again, from, from the guy after that. So that was something that people who watched that game on TV wasn't going to be able to see. Um, people, Twitter was just starting to, you know, be a big thing. So it wasn't a lot of people tweeting about stuff like that. Um, but I wrote a column about it and, and it became one of, uh, one of my most popular columns that I wrote for ESPN's heat index, uh, early on in LeBron's career. And that basically tells you the kind of guy that he is. And, um, you know, I know I kind of went long explaining that story. Uh, but, but I, I think that was an impactful one that obviously a dozen years later sticks with me. And it's one that I go to all the time when I'm asked about LeBron and what it was like covering. Well, hey, take your time and tell us uh, more if you want to. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I definitely uh, thank you for uh, for, you know, giving us that story. And that's one that, uh, you know, everyone would look for a story on the court or in the locker room and things like mm -hmm. that. But that story speaks to the man that LeBron James is and the person that he is as well. And I, I thank you for giving us that story. Um, but, you know. We're going to talk about your story and talk about mm -hmm. your transition to now, you know, doing HBCU uh, coverage, doing uh, Memphis Grizzlies coverage. And we are going to talk a little bit of AFC South as well. But yeah. first, we got to take a commercial break on touring the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. A shift. A shift is something that happens and changes the dynamics. And that's what happened when Garrett Logistics was born. After 10 years as a sales pro in the logistics world of sporting goods, John Garrett decided to pivot to the world of freight and start a brokerage. So you're saying to yourself, why trust Garrett Logistics? Well, Garrett Logistics helps shippers improve overall workflow, along with increased on-time pickup and delivery percentages. Last-minute loads, multi-drop pickups, and more are part of the services with Garrett Logistics. They're available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., all times Central Standard Time. So give them a ring at 615 800 8484 800 8484 that's 615-400-8484 or you can email them at john at garrettlogistics.co or visit their website at Garrett Logistics Garrett Logistics where the motto is it's greatly appreciate it <laughs> now on with the show uh of course uh now i mentioned you know heat index now you're in memphis you are taking on covering the memphis grizzlies mm -hmm. and of course with that you're doing a little bit of hbcu coverage as well now for those that aren't aware yes mike wallace is doing hbcu coverage which you know i actually met you the first time when actually was covering the tsu game uh, mm -hmm. Tennessee State University game. So, yeah, that was a fun time. So how did you kind of get into covering HBCU football and sports? 
Well, that's where I got my start, man. Um, you know, a lot of people may not know that, but you know, getting into this 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 sports media uh, landscape uh, twenty five six years ago now, um, twenty seven. Damn. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's it. it you know, I, I graduated from an HBCU. I went to Grambling State University. So, you know, my first sports job coming out of college was basically coming back to cover Eddie Robinson's transition from coaching. Uh, the, 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 you know, his legendary career as, as the winningest all-time NCAA football coach at the time, uh, retiring, stepping away and handing the reins over uh, to the prodigal son, you know, Doug Williams, uh, who came back to Grambling to take over. And I covered that press conference. I knew Eddie Robinson. I was at Grambling with him. I had a chance to be around him so much. Um, and, and then I also knew Doug Williams because I'm a Washington, D.C. native. And Doug, you know, uh, uh, won the Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. Uh, in 1987 with the Washington Redskins. And, you know, I, man, my neighborhood just, I lived two miles away from the stadium, RFK at the time, uh, RFK Stadium where the Redskins played at the time in D.C. And my neighborhood went berserk. Guys, you know, jumped out on cars. We had a big party. It was a block party, everything, uh, the night that they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, Doug won MVP, and, and he talked about uh, this, you know, this, 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 this man that had such an influence on him. So I'm watching a couple months after the Super Bowl, Doug Williams holds a camp for, you know, young kids and youth, a football camp, a clinic. And I attend that clinic. And at the clinic, Doug Williams talked about this mythical place called Grambling and this legendary man who taught him everything about life and becoming a man and being a great football player. And his name was Eddie Robinson. And at that time I was, you know, I was eighth grade, maybe uh, 12, 13. And, you know, I said, I want to go to Grambling. I never knew. I never heard of it. I, it was just because Doug did it. And he was the biggest star. And he was a black face, a black man doing things that I had never seen black athletes and black men do. And I wanted to be like that. So um, Grambling was etched in my head early on. And, and as I, you know, played basketball and everything in high school and, and you know, started getting recruited at a small level. Um, Grambling was a school that I visited, you know, on my recruiting visit. Went down there on the campus, loved it. Uh, and decided to go there. So HBCU has always been in my in my, in my flesh and my DNA. And once I uh, left college and, and took a newspaper job and got to cover sports, I covered HBCU. Um, I covered you know Grambling. I covered. Then I moved to Florida and started covering the MEAC with Florida A and M at the time. Um, and then when I was covering Florida A and M, which is a segue to your podcast in a, in a roundabout way, um, I also used to jump over you know take the drive two hours east to jacksonville um and I, I picked up some jacksonville jaguars games because in tallahassee you got family football so i was covering that i was helping out on florida state football and this was at a time when you know chris winky was the quarterback and peter warwick and you know all of those guys lavernius coles and, and all of that was going on um and then on saturdays i would help out with fsu and FAMU. then on sundays i would drive over to jacksonville when they had home games and oh by the way during that time, that was when Mark Brunel was the quarterback, Fred Taylor was the running back, and they had a playoff run where they uh, played. They beat Pete Carroll when he was the coach at New England at the time before Bill Belichick. So I know I'm dating myself uh, with some of these <laughs> and some of these games. Um, but that's how I got into HBCU football coverage, and I've been covering it on and off uh, back then. And then my career just kind of elevated. I covered bigger uh, conferences, SEC, ACC, NFL. Uh, and then I got back into uh, NBA uh, right around Katrina. Um, and then I went to Miami to cover the Miami Heat. And, and ever since then, it's been 
a trajectory that took off from there. But with Grind City Media, which we began and we launched after I left ESPN to be sort of the heat index for the Memphis Grizzlies, basically. So we built it to be just like that vehicle that I was coming from. And as part of that, we wanted to cover, we wanted to leverage our relationship with Memphis. A lot of black people live in Memphis. A lot of black people who are educated in colleges live in Memphis. And they go to HBCUs all around the region and the country. So we wanted to tap into that fan base and give them something outside of basketball in addition to basketball to look to. And we started tapping into that man and myself and CJ Hurt um, under the direction of John Pugliese, my vice president, and Jason Wexler, the visionary president we have, said, let's bring this in and let's do it. So we explored. We have the HBCU huddle uh, every week. Uh, now it's in, in a video format. So check out grindcitymedia.com and look up the HBCU huddle. Also, we're relaunching our new app. Uh, go to Grind City Media, where you get all your apps uh, from. Look for the Grind City Media app, and you can get the HBCU huddle in addition to all of our coverage from Grind City Media and the Memphis Grizzlies right there. So sh yes, shameless sir. Yes, sir. to give you the answer to your to your question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, no, no shame here. No shame here. Definitely, uh, you know, something to check out. And uh, what is one of your uh, what would you say is one of your your best memories in terms of covering HBCU football? And just HBCU uh, sports in general. Wow. Um, walking off the field with Eddie Robinson, um, I was a student at the time. And, you know, I was a student journalist uh, working for the Grambling Night. And I went, uh, Eddie Robinson and Grambling played classics all over the country. So I got to see, my first chance seeing the country um, was, you know, following the football program around and, and going to all these classics that Grambling would play. And uh, one of the classics was, was uh, at Memorial Field, Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. And, you know, that was my first time being at Grambling where Grambling went to the East Coast back towards my hometown. Now, Baltimore is, is 45 minutes away from D.C. Um, so I was on the field uh, walking off with Eddie Robinson after that game. They won that game against I want to say they played, if it wasn't Morgan State, it was somebody else they were playing, but the Classic was in Baltimore in that NFL stadium at the time. And um, it was a historic win for Eddie. I think he had passed somebody else on that list as he was getting to 400 victories. And the clip that they showed, uh, we, we were walking off the field, he was shaking hands with the other coach and then walking back towards the locker room, and I was right beside him. And every time BET, when they used to air – HBCU football games back in the day, they would show this montage as they were, you know, launching, going into their coverage. It was a montage of HBCU highlights. And it always ended with that shot of Eddie Robinson walking off the field and I'm right there beside him. So every Saturday that they had HBCU games played, the preview shots uh, promoting, promoting the coverage in the telecast had that clip in there. And so many people would see me and would be like, man, that was you. And, and, and then they knew what I was about and what I was trying to do. So that was one of my most memorable uh, clips. That clip, I guess if it was today, it would, it would be a viral uh, highlight clip, but walking off the floor with Eddie Robinson at Memorial Stadium, um, and it's, it's, it being on a loop every week when they showed HBCU football games, that was pretty cool. Man, that sounds like an amazing moment, and you were at the right yeah. place at the right time and uh, with, yeah. with the right person, right? Yeah, no question, no question. There's also the time when that red telephone rang on the field. I don't know how they got a regular rotary telephone on the field at that time <laughs> when he won his 400th and Bill Clinton called, uh, called the field. And uh, Eddie picked up 
and, and it was Bill Clinton, President Clinton at the time, um, you know, uh, congratulating him on winning his 400th historic game. So that was another one there. But yeah, the list goes on and on and on. I could give you plenty of them, but those are the ones that, you know, if, 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 if it was a quick reference and a quick memory that comes right up, those are the two that come right up. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now, of course, uh, we can't talk Grind City Media and Mike Wallace without talking about the Grizzlies just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it isn't like they had a lot of things go on this offseason, but they had just a few things go on. You know, uh, you know, they talk about uh, Dylan Brooks not coming back, which, you know, that didn't happen. And, of course, he's with the Houston Rockets. Um, and also the pickup of Marcus Smart in a trade that involved Boston, Washington, and uh, Memphis. So, you know, definitely you got rid of Tyus Jones. He goes to Washington. You get to be the starting point guard. You bring in a veteran like Marcus Smart, a guy that's uh, basically he he was the heart and soul, in my opinion, of the Boston Celtics. You bring him to Memphis to a a, a same type of grit type team or or same type of player he needs to be on this type of team. Uh, To me, he brings the kind of the Tony Allen type of element, but with more maybe leadership and more a little bit more offensive skill. Um, You know, what what are your thoughts on, on his addition to the Memphis Grizzlies this year you know it's it's it, I, I, I've had to compartmentalize uh my thoughts and my feelings on this because Tyus Jones is my favorite Grizzly like he just was um and, and I'm talking about not just obviously Tyus Jones is a reserve part-time starting point guard um this my feelings for Tyus go beyond him as a basketball player um what he is as a professional how he is as a man and a father um, and a husband and, 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 and as a brother and being able to see, you know, who he is in tough times, as well as in times of, of, of great accomplishment. Um, he's even killed. He's the same person. And when you're covering sports and you're around games like this and all of this, you know, excess and money and all of these people that have all of these things, you see those things change people. Even the, even the most sincere people who don't want to be changed. Uh, end up changing a little bit. But Tyus, man, is is a remarkable human being. And to see him go was something that it, it was it was hard. It was really hard uh, because I know what he meant to the organization. And I know what he meant uh, as, a, as a grown man and a professional in that locker room. So having said that, giving him his flowers and his kudos and his well wishes, I can also see the practicality of bringing in Marcus Smart and what he represents. Like you said, you said it is you know better than I could say it is that he won't have to be anything different on the court and in the locker room than what he was in Boston. You know, be that veteran, be that accountable voice, be that leader, be that dog on the court, um, be that guy that's unafraid to take the big shots and live with the consequences regardless of what they are. Um, show that. And, and that's what that's what this team needs. So now he gets to sort of reset the button because he was there before Brown and Tatum, and he saw them come in as young guys, and he kind of helped them grow up. Now he can sort of reset the clock a little bit and look at Jaron, Dez, and Jock and do the same thing. And I think now he will have even more appreciation of how important his role is as a veteran voice uh, because he's getting towards 29, 30 years old. So it's going to be a a remarkable, remarkable marriage on the court uh, and off. And I can't wait to see what it looks like in training camp for sure. Now, the one thing I'm wondering about is, is he going to change his, you know, the dye of his hair from green to blue now since he's he's in uh, Memphis? (laughs) You know, the, the green is so fluorescent, right? Blue, it's, it's going to be difficult unless he goes to Bill Street blue. If he goes to the lighter blue, 
that might offset it a little bit more. But if he goes to, to the regular blue, it's going to be too close to black to really, really see and stand out. So we're going to have to figure out a way he can do that. Maybe he, maybe he does the alternate color and goes with the gold, the trimming in the Grizzlies uniform, and we'll see how it goes from there. I can only imagine Marcus Smart looking like a big old gold mic out there with gold hat. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's another veteran that the Grizzlies did add, and Memphis is very familiar with him. That would be Mr. Derrick Rose. Uh, of course, he, he signed, a, I believe, a two-year deal, $6.5 million, I believe, is what he signed for. Um, how interesting is that, that his career can go from, you know, being at Memphis, being the star player, going to the NBA and now coming back as a, as an older veteran for the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. Well, well, because I have this um, wrong side, because I have this, this bare head, I'm officially an employee of the Grizzlies and the NBA. And it's the moratorium. I can't necessarily speak on the signing because it's not official uh, as of yet. What okay. I will say is the reported and we, we can jump around that. That's not a problem, but I just got to make sure, you know what I mean? From that standpoint. Okay. But no, 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 the the reported agreement that's out there right now in place, um, you know, is, is one that a lot of Grizzlies fans uh, are excited about, no question, because they remember D Rose in two thousand eight. Really, he took this franchise, I mean, the city of Memphis in basketball, further than it's ever gone before, ever. They were playing for a national championship. Um, the Grizzlies got as far as the Western Conference Finals. Um, the Tigers that year got to the NCAA championship game in the Final Four. And so it's, it's uh, you know, they, they still have fond memories, even though D. Rose, uh, you know, was only there for one year. He was also the number one pick in the draft. So the biggest moment in Memphis basketball history was provided by Derrick Rose. And that says a lot. So then you follow his career. A lot of people from, you know, Memphis and, and Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas are, are byproducts of Chicago, have relatives in Chicago and vice versa. It's that corridor, that I-55 migration corridor. So people in our area followed Derrick Rose throughout his career. Um, so for him to, you know, be on the verge of, of making a return at this stage of his career um, says a lot, man. And, and he's another veteran voice in the locker room that the fans can rally around, but also the players, because all of these guys were, 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 were probably young teenagers and, and even in young kids, eight, nine, 10 years old. I'm thinking Jaron Jackson Jr. is he'll, he'll be 24. Um, Derrick Rose came in the league, uh, you know, what, 15 years ago? So look at that. That's nine years old. You know what I mean? Uh, these guys <laughs> were nine years old when D. Rose took the, the league by storm. And so you you looked at basketball and you were like, D. Rose was their version of what Michael Jordan was for me and, and, and other guys of our generation. So, you know, to be on the court and in the locker room and playing with that guy, that has to be a, a humbling feeling. And just being able to have that kind of respect and, and that kind of presence is going to say a lot. And if he has anything left in the tank to help the team, you know he's going to do that. Uh, he tried it with Minnesota. He did it with uh, New York in the last couple of years. And, and we'll see what, what he has left. But, um, you know, that thing comes to fruition uh, in a few days, um, and, and as everyone expects. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It'll definitely be interesting. I, I'm definitely I've got a few thoughts there, but of course, you know, I'll keep them to myself for right now. We'll talk oh. about them at a later, a later point. Okay. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do have to ask, Um, you know, of course, we're going to jump over to the the AFC South to kind of, yeah. uh, I guess, finish off the show. And I want to talk about you, you mentioned the Jacksonville Jaguars and they are the hot team in the AFC South. And a lot of people have them winning the division. 
Now, I'm in Nashville. I think the Titans still have a chance with, you know, you have Derek, uh, Derek Henry. You have defensive players that you've added to the, to the team as well. You've added a little bit more in the offensive line. I mean, am I crazy to think that the Tennessee Titans could potentially have a chance or is it Jacksonville's, Jacksonville's division to lose? No, I don't think you're crazy at all, man. I think, you know, Tennessee's been under some tremendous uh, attrition, to say the least, over the last three years. I mean, just roster, um, you know, coaching staff is pretty, you know, the head coach is obviously still there, but you've seen the front office turn over and flip a couple of different times now. With Rand Carthon in position, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I was a fan of his father, you know, when his father played in the league, you know what I mean? And so I, I understand, you know, what this means and the, you know, how symbolic it is to have an African-American male uh, running your football operations. Um, that, that, that right there is, is everything to me uh, for a team like Tennessee. They've always have been able to have, you know, some strong leadership, um, you know, on the field and, and, and in the front office, one or the other. And now you got it both ways. Um, I do think it's, you know, they're sort of the, the, the big brother of the division right now. The last couple of years, they've been the consistent team uh, so, sort of towards the top. No one has ever run away from it. Houston has been in a tailspin. They're trying to get themselves back together now, but I think it's going to take some time. Um, Indianapolis, you just got to scratch your head because how did it unravel so quickly with them? And then they've been in a tailspin over the last three or four years. You know, ever since, you know, um, uh, 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 Andrew Luck just up and retired on them, they haven't been able to find their way back. They've had injuries. They've had a lot of issues that have gone on. The coaching staff has been kind of in flux. And now they're hitting the reset button again. So just because of everybody else's issues, you look at Jacksonville and say they're the team that has the upside right now. So it's easy to jump to them. But I still say it's going to be a two-team race right now. I do think Jacksonville had a promising finish to the season. Um, but I think Tennessee is not going to just back down either. I think they have one more defiant run in them under this current quarterback running back uh, scenario that you have in Henry and, and you know, obviously what they're doing with that, the way that they play. But I do think they're going to change up their style in the next year or two. So this might be the last season that we see them play like this. Um, and, and if they want to to open it up a little bit more, they need to open it up, especially when you see how the receivers and and, and A.J. Brown and, and the Philadelphia 70, you know, 76ers, Philadelphia Eagles did by getting to the Super Bowl. You can't have departures turn out to end up in better positions than, than, they, than they were in Tennessee. That's happening too many times now. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, especially a guy like Traylon Burks. He's uh, he's walking around a little bit more swagger this year. He's in better shape. He's not uh, dropping as many passes in camp, and you know it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out as well. But I want to talk about one other thing in the AFC South, and that's two black quarterbacks that are actually new in the division. That would be C.J. Stroud for the Texans and Anthony Richardson for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, both of these quarterbacks, it's interesting how they were talked about. Anthony Richardson, an athletic marvel. He can do this, do that. He's as big as an offensive lineman or a tight end. And he can run as fast. He can throw a football as far. And the opposite, C.J. Stroud, oh, well, he doesn't run. He doesn't run. He got criticism for not running. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting as a black quarterback, you're getting criticism for not running and mm -hmm. actually not being a quarterback. When they, it was the opposite way around, ran too much, didn't throw the football. So it's always interesting. And, then, you know, what are your thoughts on just the kind of the thoughts that people had about these quarterbacks and the critiques? along with, you know, that fits where they currently are. Well, I, I, I like the fact that the criticism is diverse now, right? It's not it's not stereotypical in one bucket. 
right? It was always, you know, if you were a black quarterback, you had to be a scrambler, a guy that made athletic plays, uh, a guy that had a strong arm but wasn't necessarily accurate, um, you know, and, and, and took a lot of hits and that kind of thing. Now you're seeing black quarterbacks be everything. You know what I mean? Um, you have the cerebral black quarterbacks in Russell Wilson and, and some of the other guys. You know, you have the athletic guys, you know, in, in Lamar Jackson. Um, you, you, you know, but you have some in between, too, in the Patrick Mahomes and, 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 and Jalen Hurts and all of these kind of different things. So what you're seeing is uh, you're seeing black quarterbacks be pocket passers and dynamic athletes. And, and that wasn't always the case. We weren't always given the credit for being the, the broad spectrum of what you needed in your quarterback. So from that standpoint, I take the criticism with a grain of salt, but what's within the criticism, I find a little bit of music now because it, at least it's a little bit more diverse. Um, you know, with Stroud, it, it's, it's, Houston has so much to do to help him or they need to do so much to help him. I'm not sure. Like he's, I would love to see like, you know, I, I remember, and, and this is taking you way back because I also have, you know, I've had a, I had a relationship with Steve McNair, um, you know, throughout his career. And, you know, he was at Alcorn when I was at Grambling. Um, we crossed paths a couple of times there in a great way. Um, I'm real good friends with, with his brother, Fred McNair, who's the coach now at Alcorn State. Um, but I remember, and I covered, <laughs> I actually covered, I was an intern in San Antonio when the Titans were on the move from Houston, ultimately to Memphis and then to, to Tennessee. Um, they they used to have training camp their last years in Houston in San Antonio. So when I was an intern, a sports reporting intern in San Antonio, I covered uh, the Oilers training camp, and uh, it was Steve McNair's second year in Eddie George's rookie year. So I was at Eddie George's rookie signing contract signing press conference. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> that 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 day <laughs> well, but like I said, I covered everything, man. And but at that time, Chris Chandler was the quarterback for uh, for for uh, Houston, uh, the Oilers. And McNair had to wait his turn. Um, when Eli got to New York, um, you know, it, it was one of those situations where he, Kurt Warner was the quarterback. Eli had to kind of wait his turn. I kind of wish that Stroud would do that uh, in that situation. And, and even, you know, up in Indianapolis, Richardson. I, I want to see a veteran kind of give these guys a red shirt year to at least get their bodies right, get an NFL training regimen underneath them um, and all of those things. But when you first just throw these guys out there and expect them to be to be something is tough, man. And when you're playing in a division like the black and blue division AFC South is, um, it's hard for quarterbacks to look good. That's why it took Trevor Lawrence a couple of years to really look good. And um, once he found it, he found it. And he found it last, the last seven games of last year. And he's going to take that momentum moving forward. But, you know, again, it's good to see the diversity among the quarterbacks. And, and it's going to be interesting. Three dynamic young quarterback in three different spots. And then Ryan Tannehill right there in Tennessee. We'll see what happens with him. But it's going to be a fourth one coming in the next year or two anyway, because I think Ryan's time is going to end up, you know, uh, running out uh, pretty soon before you know it. That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to take one more quick commercial break, and then we've got a game segment of the show. Five questions, two answers, and one choice. That should be fun. Mm -hmm. On the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. You ever miss your mom's home-cooked meals? Well, you're not always able to get to those, but you are able to get to HNT's home cooking. Established in 2005, Patty Palin and her staff go out six days a week to create some of the best homestyle meals you can taste and at a fair price. So if you're in Nashville and you like chicken and dresses, green beans, macaroni and cheese, and other things, 
stop by H&T's Home Cooking. Their address is 2264 Murfreesboro Pike, Nashville, Tennessee, 37217. And they are open Monday through Thursday and Sunday, 11 to 6, 30. And Friday, 11 to 7. And if you want to order online, of course, the option is available as well at hthomecooking.com or you can call 615-367-0049. H&T's Home Cooking. Food for your soul. All right, and we are back on from touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. Of course, we talked about a little bit of the heat index. Uh, we talked about HBCU football. We talked about the ASC South, the Grizzlies. But at the end of the show, there's always a game. Five questions, two answers, one choice. Could be football, could be sports, could be, could be, could be movies as well, or music. Could be anything. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First thing, dunk contest. <laughs> First thing, dunk contest. Who would you take? A prime LeBron or Ja Morant? Who In wins a dunk that? contest? Yes. A dunk contest? Yeah. Ooh, easy, easy, easy. Ja Morant. Ja Morant. Ja Morant. He's 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 smaller. Um, he gets higher up in the air, and his ability to you know do different contortions and all those kind of things. Uh, it's I, man, John Morant will win a dunk contest if he ever hit it. Um, LeBron is a little bigger. Uh, I go John Morant on that one easy. LeBron is a remarkable dunker though, but I would go John Morant in a dunk contest. Okay, all right. Let's see. Now I'm gonna take you to DC with this one. See, I ain't know the DC stuff with this one, but I, I'm gonna take you with there to DC. I'm gonna go bust and loose or the butt. Which uh, which song are you taking? <laughs> Ah, man, Chuck Brown is the godfather. He's everybody's granddad. And, you know, man, that, that man has been jabbing since before I was born. But EU is my contemporary. Uh, the butt came out uh, in school days. You know, I, I saw that in the movies when it came out. And uh, I grew up not too far from where Huggy Bear and uh, and, and his son lived. Um, actually, I went to high school with, uh, with, with Bear's son. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go to butt. All right, cool, cool. Now, Nashville or Memphis, which city do you enjoy more? I get man. Um, <laughs> I gotta say Memphis, right? I gotta say Memphis. I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got you, got you. All right, now uh, I'm gonna say this it is reported that Derrick Rose. It hadn't hadn't officially happened yet, so I'm just gonna let everyone know that before I ask this question. All right, Derrick, which one do you see more? Happening, more probable happening. Derrick Rose, a forty-point game, or Roddy White, Roddy, uh, David Roddy, a thirty-point game next season. Ooh. which one is more likely to happen? D Rose forty, mm -hmm. D Rod thirty. I would. Oof. I'm gonna go D Rod thirty. Okay. Just because I think D Rod will have a chance to have more consistent playing time throughout the course of a season. So D Rod thirty. Okay. All right. All right. I got another one for you that you'll uh, you'll find interesting. Boomerang or Beverly Hills Cop? Which Eddie Murphy movie are you taking? Boomerang. Boomerang. <laughs> um, Boomerang was 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 <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop was great. It was a great movie. I've seen I've seen all of them. 
Um, Boomerang was one of my top five or 10 movies of all time. Um, I actually, <laughs> see, everything has a story with me, man. Uh, Boomerang <laughs> came out when I was in high school, right? So uh, if you if you remember the movie poster for Boomerang and what Eddie Murphy wore, I copied that and took it to a stylist and had them design my prom tux to look just like Eddie Murphy's uh, uh, tux <laughs> poster. So I had the gold bow tie and, and the, uh, the black tux, man. So that was my look for uh, for one of the two proms I went to uh, as a senior in high school. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Hey, not not just one prom, two. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, right. two. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is five questions, two answers, and one choice. You're off the hot seat. That is the oh. end of the show. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, and if you want to, go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you on social media and what all things you are working on. Yes, man. Well, like I said, right now, I'm in, as we speak, I'm in Salt Lake City uh, for the Salt Lake City Summer League, uh, four-team Summer League here uh, where the Memphis Grizzlies are playing. And then right after this, they go to uh, Las Vegas. I won't be going to Las Vegas, but Las Vegas is the 30-team big-time uh, Las Vegas uh, tournament as well, uh, Summer League. So you can catch all of our work, grindcitymedia.com, HBCU Huddle, where we're doing football as well. Um, Odds Couple, where we talk about the Titans a whole lot. Uh, we have Teresa Walker come on every week on Grind City Media to talk about the Titans and everything as well, too, and the AFC. But find all of our work at GrindCityMedia.com, on social channels at Grind City Media, and download the Grind City Media app wherever you download your apps. We got a new and a lot of great content coming to the app and some chances to win some prizes as well at the new Grind City Media app. All right. I'll take oh, a note of that. You follow me at uh, you want to follow me <laughs> at my mic check, M-I-K-E-C-H-E-C-K, at my 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 mic check. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, uh, you know, when I was list, I was seeing your your uh, handle on Twitter and social exactly. media, you know, the first song I started thinking about is uh, Salt and Pepper. My mic sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I started one, thinking about. That one, that two, <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Oh my god, man, that takes it back right there. But uh you can find me uh for me, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Patton82. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-T-T-O-N 82. Uh on Twitter, on uh Instagram, you can find me at the that's T-H-A, not T-H-E underscore general underscore MP. And you can also find Torna ASC South on YouTube. Hello. And you can also find me on excuse me, you can find Torna ASC South. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find it. Go ahead and like, subscribe, comment, you know, whatever. Share it with somebody that you know that may like a football or sports podcast. Thank you in advance. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in to Touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. We're out.